Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. All right, well, let's welcome Sean Stafford as he brings the heat today. I know I look like a millennial, but I'm not all that good at this technology, so. I almost went old school, just paper. He even kicked around. My dad's a big, uh, whenever he does his speech, he does it on like that manila yellow folders. So I was like, maybe I'll do that. But. <laughs> good morning, how are we doing? Are we good, we good? Can we all just give a wave to everybody watching online? Hello, hello, hello. Good morning and welcome. Welcome, Cornerstone family. If you're visiting, welcome. We're just so blessed to have you guys. All right, so we ready? All right, we are winding down, and I'm pretty sure we're in the last week of our series we've been going through titled Unknown. And the series has been based on... 2 Timothy 3.16, so I'm going to start with that. So if you guys could do me a favor, sometimes it's a little nerve-wracking up here, so if I could get some audience participation, it'd really get me flowing, okay? But not like that weak audience. I need like, come on, come on somebody, all right? Can we put the, there we go, all right, we got it all up on the boards? All right, let's do it together, guys. All scripture, guys, we had a deal, let's do it together, come on. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. And this has been the theme for the last, I don't know, five, six weeks, and the heart behind this series has been, if we believe, and we do as believers, right, if we believe this is the very Word of God, why is it that we skip parts of it? And maybe we don't skim or skip, but sometimes we just skim over parts. Or sometimes we just don't let certain scriptures carry the same weight in our life, do we? And if it's all God's Word, come on. Now be honest. We've all done this before. Have we all skipped over parts of Scripture? Maybe you're in Exodus, you get to the census, and you're like, eh, I'll just skim down to the bottom. And then it hits you with another one later in the book. You're like, I just did this. Come on. <laughs> so you skip down to the bottom. Or there, you get to some genealogies, right? And there's just a bunch of names, and there's some cities, and you're like, I, I, I don't know what this says, right? I was reading a couple weeks ago, and I started First Chronicles. And <laughs> chapter 1 is just, again, it's a genealogy, it's family line. I'm like, oh, and it's kind of early, so I'm like skimming through it. I'm like, I'll just go to chapter two. Chapter two is the same thing. I'm like, I'll just get to chapter three. Same thing. Literally eight chapters of family line. So it took me to chapter nine, because I'm like, I need some narrative. And the second I did that, this, this scripture popped in my head. I'm like, Sean, you go back and you read those scriptures. You go back. So I go back. And I start reading, and I just instantly find myself zoning out again. I'm like, you're not reading it. 
and if I'm being honest, it's not necessarily that I don't want to read it, because I do. I literally feel like I can't read it. Like, I don't know the words. You guys ever seen that movie, Dumb and Dumber? Anybody? In the Stafford family, it's like an institution. Like, if you don't, if you don't love that movie, we look at you kind of funny. But there's this scene in Dumb and Dumber, Lloyd Christmas. He's one of the main characters. This is Jim Carrey's character. And they're looking for Mary Swanson. They're trying to bring her, her briefcase back. So he sees this news article, and it has Mary's face on it. He's like, oh, this might help us find her. So he starts trying to read the article, and he's like, he starts looking, he starts reading, he's like, ta-ha, ta-ha. And his buddy's like, the? He's like, oh, the? Annual. Annual. And that's how I feel sometimes. I'm trying to read through some of these, these genealogies, and I'm like, I just can't read the words. Now, that's kind of funny, right? We've all experienced that with the Bible or scriptures where we get to those hard parts and we kind of just, we glaze over them. Maybe we're like, ah, they're not so important. And maybe you think it's just an Old Testament thing. Well, then guess what? First page of the New Testament, what do we get? We get another genealogy. Now, we're not going to go into it today, but I do encourage you guys, go down that rabbit hole because there is some really, really good stuff to learn when you unpack that genealogy. I think that's a perfect testimony to that scripture right here, that all scripture is useful. So if you got some time this week, jump in. It's fun. But like I said, it's kind of funny. We kind of chuckle, right, when we, when we skip over. We, we all can kind of, we've had those experiences. But do we also skip over some of the hard parts of scripture? We know that scripture is meant to what? Correct, to teach, to rebuke. Ooh. Right? We hear that word, rebuke. Sounds aggressive. And we're like, eh, that doesn't sound fun. I'll just skip over that. Scripture's meant to train in righteousness. You're like, training? Sounds like exercising. Sounds like a lot of effort. I'm good, right? And we skip over those parts of Scripture. Now, we come up with all sorts of different justifications for why we can maybe just skip over or skim past. And I think it's usually tied to how you view the Bible. Some people view the Bible, they'll, they might say, you know, it's, I get it, it's the inspired word of God, the inspired word of God, but it's written by men. So there's probably some, some factual errors, there's probably some mistakes in there, so you know. Some might view it as, Okay, it's the word of God, but a lot of it's maybe symbolic, so we don't necessarily have to take everything in here literally, do we? No. Some might just think it's not really the word of God, it's just, it's just a good book. It's a book, and there's some good, some good lessons, there's, there's some good things you can apply to your life, but it's kind of a grab bag, whatever kind of fits what you need, you kind of cherry pick out of there, and there's some good stuff in there. And then some people just view this as just an old relic. And that it, there, it's, it's just, it doesn't have any cultural relevance to what we're going through today. And they just ignore it altogether. As believers, what do you think? Do you believe, and we all should, that this is the very word of God? Do we? If we don't, guys, and we fall into one of those other categories... It's a really, really slippery slope. 
we begin to look more like the world around us. We begin to fall into that kind of that relativistic view of things where there's no real absolute truth. And we kind of fall into that like, eh, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe kind of attitude, right? God's word, it has power. God's word has authority. God's word spoke all of creation into existence. Look at Jesus' ministry. Jesus' words, they had power. He calls out. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus raises from the dead. Remember the story about the centurion's servant? From a distance, he calls out and he heals the servant. He doesn't even get to near him. With a word, he heals the servant. You guys all familiar with disciples in the boat, the big storm, that story? I think we're all pretty familiar with it, right? Jesus commands the winds and the waves to calm, and they obey. I heard a pastor, he had a really cool take on that story. So if you're not familiar with it, I'll just run over it real quick. So disciples are in the boat. Big storm comes. There's winds, there's waves, it's crashing into the boat. They're terrified. And what is Jesus doing? We know the story. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is sleeping, right? So they wake Jesus up. They shake him up. Say, Jesus, don't you care if we die? Jesus commands the waves to calm, and they obey. Now, the pastor asked a really poignant question. He said, who do you think was woken up in that story? Because we read that the disciples woke up Jesus, right? Who do you think was woken up? It was the disciples. You know what they were woken up to? The power and the authority of Jesus' word. It caused him to say, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey? Who is this? They were woken up to the power of God's word. In Jesus' ministry, he's being tempted in the wilderness. He tells Satan. What does he say to him? He commands him. He says, Satan, be gone. And Satan obeys. We see with God's word, he raises people from the dead. Even the weather obeys the word of God. With all that in mind, Satan, the demons, the dead, the weather, who are we? Who are we to question the authority of God's word? Who are we to not obey? That being said, we are going to be tackling one of those books in the Bible Maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't, maybe you skimmed it, or chances are it's just been a little bit since you read it. We're going to be reading through the book of Habakkuk. Now, that's one of those words sometimes where you're like reading, you're like, Habakkuk? <laughs> some might say Habakkuk, some say Habakkuk, but anyway. So Habakkuk, he prophesied during the reign of King Jehoiakim in around 600 B.C., maybe 605 B.C., and what he pronounced was basically the coming of the Babylonians on the, on the kingdom of Judah. He was announcing God's judgment. Now Habakkuk, he was a unique prophet in this sense, that most prophets would receive a word from God, and then they would speak to the people. Habakkuk was a little different. He was speaking on behalf of the people to God. 
And what we see in the book of Habakkuk is we see a conversation that Habakkuk has with God. And it's a really raw and in-your-face conversation because Habakkuk, he's a little frustrated. Now, at this time in, in, in their history, the kingdom of Judah, the, God's people, they're not so good. Let's just say that. They're, they're, they're corrupt. There's violence. There's injustice. There's bad people doing bad things to good people. And let's be honest, even the good people, they weren't really all that good. And this bothered Habakkuk, and he was frustrated. Now, I want to just jump back a little bit in, in history here, because I think it'll give us some context to why it bothered Habakkuk so much. So I want to just go back to just the king, and there was one, one intermediate king, but King Josiah. Now, he reigned before. And during his reign, and we don't know for sure, because we don't really know how old Habakkuk was, but likely Habakkuk lived during King Josiah's reign. And King Josiah was a really, really good king. Now, we can't read the whole story, but you can go to King, 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23 if you want to get kind of a rundown of his, uh, his reign. But I'll just give you this one scripture, and I think it kind of sums up who he was. It says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. Now, during his reign, there's this really interesting story. So, the kingdom of Judah kind of had this up and down kind of history. Sometimes they were obedient to God and other times they weren't. And they, they, there was this King Manasseh that reigned prior to Josiah. And he was just, he's a bad dude. He was probably one of the most evil kings in their time. And he had a very, very long reign, about 55 years. Now, while I was reading through the scripture, it kind of dawned on me. You know when you're going through kings, and you're getting all the rundowns of all the different kings? And there are these, like, short little paragraphs, right? I think sometimes, because they're kind of, they're lined up that way, we kind of lose the context, but think about 55 years. That's a long time. I'm 36. So that would have been my entire life, I would have been living in a, in, a, in a culture that just was basically rejecting God and was just extremely evil and extremely disobedient to the word. Even if you're a little older, I mean, you could honestly have, you could be almost 60 right now, and your entire adult life would have been spent in a culture like that. It's kind of eye-opening. So, and why I mention that, the people of Judah had fallen so far away from God that they had lost track of the book of the law. So we come across this really interesting story where Josiah decides, he's like, all right, we've been neglecting God's house, we've been neglecting the temple, so we're going to start some repairs on it. We're going to do a little spring cleaning, if you will. And while they're doing that, the high priest, he finds this book it turns out it's the book of the law. I mean, it's the Bible. The way I think of it is like, imagine if you're in your bedroom, right? And you're doing some spring cleaning. And you're like getting stuff under your bed. And, and then you pull out this book and it's all dusty. And you're like, oh, my Bible. I haven't seen that in years, right? That's kind of the scene we get. And it sounds kind of crazy. But then it made me think for a second. It's not really all that far-fetched. My dad, a couple years ago, he's in Costco. And he's shopping for a nativity scene. So he goes to Costco. 
and he can't find a nativity scene, so he, he, he pulls over one of the employees, and he was probably early to mid-20s. He says, hey, do you know where the nativity scenes are? Blank stare. No idea. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And my dad's kind of like taken back. He's like, you know, a nativity scene. Baby Jesus, some wise men. I mean, it's the birth of Jesus. That's what Christmas is about, right? Kid has no idea. And I find it shocking that here we are in America. The back of our money says, in God we trust. This country was founded on Christianity, founded on the principles and morals of God. And here is a young man that has said so little exposure. He hasn't even passively come across the birth of Jesus. That's kind of crazy, right? And you might be thinking, well, you know, he's not, he's not in church. So, so I, I can maybe wrap my head around it. So I started looking at some just statistics. And this is for believers. This is for churchgoers. You know what percentage of churchgoers read the Bible daily? The highest I saw was 11%. The lowest I saw was 9%. 9 to 11%. What stood out to me more, though, as I was kind of just looking for some, some statistics, I was reading this article, and I don't even remember any of the statistics in there. What I remember, though, you know you're reading like a research article, and you've you got to define the group you're doing the research on, right? So it was on Bible users. So like, well, let's define what we mean when we say Bible user, you know what they meant when they said Bible user? Somebody that reads their Bible three to four times, not per week, not per month, per year, outside of church. Three to four times per year outside of church. Now take that, and a couple weeks ago we heard Pastor Billy talking about just how hard the, you know, the pandemic kind of hit the church, right? And some pastors in Las Vegas estimate they probably lost a good 30% of their members. There's churches in California where I think Pastor Billy was saying up to 70% of their members. Put those two together. So if you're only reading your Bible three to four times and everything else exposure is church, and now you're not going to church, it's kind of a problem, right? So anyway, King Josiah, they find the book of the law. He calls all the people together. And he reads it out loud to them. And all the people rededicate themselves to the covenant. They rededicate their lives to God. They rededicate to be obedient to God. And then after that, you can read through it, he kind of just wrecks house. He goes throughout, he tears down all the pagan altars, all the shrines, kicks out all the priests that had been hired that were just idolatrous priests, just cleans house. And the people, God's people, See an amazing revival. Their relationship with God is sparked and revived. And Joey talked about last week how during this series there's been this kind of unintentional thread of revival. And we've talked about it a few times. And he's challenged us in the past to not just talk about revival, but to what? Live revival, right? You know how we start to live in revival? We got to get back into the word. We need a higher percent of people reading this word daily. Three to four times a year? That's just not acceptable. 
We want to see revival in the church. We want to see revival in your life. You want God to correct and train? We got to get back into his word. All right. We're going to jump back to the Habakkuk, all right? So, Habakkuk. This would have bothered him. See, he lived during a time where he saw an amazing revival in God's people. And now all of a sudden he's looking and people have, they've fallen back into their old ways. They're corrupt. They're violent. There's no justice. They're doing bad things to each other. And this would have deeply bothered Habakkuk. Now Habakkuk, it's, he's one of the minor prophets. Now this isn't because it's any less important. It's because it's relatively short in, in comparison to the major prophets. It's three, it's three chapters. So I encourage you this week, and this could be one of the ways we start some revival, take a read. See if you can clear out some time to get in God's word this week. We talked last about not hitting the spiritual snooze button, right? So I got a challenge for you. Who hits snooze? I'm kind of bad at it. I want to get up earlier than I'm going to get up, so I hit snooze a few times. Um, your snooze button's what, nine minutes, right? So here's the challenge. Do one less snooze. One less snooze this week. That gives you nine minutes. You know what you can do in nine minutes? If you got the Bible app, you can read the verse of the day. There's usually with that a two-minute devotional video. And then there's about a one-minute devotional you can read. And then that gives you five minutes of just quiet time with God. Or five minutes to listen to some worship music. A lot you can do in nine minutes, right? Really no excuse to be not in the Word daily. So, we don't have time to tackle the entire book, but we are going to dive deep into some parts. So I want to just do kind of a quick summary of the book so we kind of get the flavor, we get the feel, okay? So, chapter 1, Habakkuk is in a season of wondering. He's looking on what's going on, and he's wondering, like, God, why aren't you doing something about it? And then he starts to wonder, like, okay, you said you're going to do something about it. Like, he's wondering, like, why did you choose to do that? And it's a conversation he has. So verses 1 through 4, you see Habakkuk, he kind of just unleashes he vents on God of what he sees going on. And then the second part, God responds. Pretty amazing, right? We have a relational God that when we speak and when we talk, hey, he'll respond. And he says, Habakkuk, I see what's going on. I see what my people are doing. And don't you worry. I'm going to take care of it. But here's the kicker. He says, I'm going to take care of it in a way that you wouldn't believe. Even if I told you. And when he tells him, he's like, I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge my people. Now, the Babylonians were a very wicked and cruel and treacherous people. So basically, he's going to use somebody worse to judge his people. Well, Habakkuk has something else to say about that. So he replies, and that's basically what he says. He's like, I, I don't understand why you're going to use a more wicked people than us to judge us. He's like, I know we're not good, but we're better than them. How are you going to sit by and let this evil and wicked people, you're going to just let them continue to prosper? I, I, God, I don't get it. And then chapter 3, now his circumstances don't change. What's going to happen is going to happen. But we see him come to this place where he begins to worship God. He literally sings a song of praise and worship. And that's what we can learn today. How do we come from a place of wondering and questioning to a place of worship, even when our circumstances don't change? You guys ready to jump in? All right. 
Habakkuk 1, verses 1 through 4. The prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Told you, he's letting God have it, right? Very real and raw conversation where he is just unleashing and, and voicing his frustrations with God. The driving question we see in the first chapter of Habakkuk is this. Why doesn't God seem fair? And he asks a version of this question. He says, in verses 2 and 3, he says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? God, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Fast forward today, we're still asking this question, don't we? I think the most basic form of asking this question is basically like, hey, why do bad things happen to good people, right? We ask that question all the time. Or maybe a little lesser injustice, why at work I do everything I'm supposed to do, my boss is right there. This doesn't happen at my work. Um, <laughs> do everything I'm supposed to do. And the guy in the cubicle next to me, the jerk next to me, he, why, why does he get the promotion? Right? Why do little kids get cancer? Those are hard questions. We saw an amazing testimony from my mom today. And I got to tell you, I look at their life, very obedient, faithful. They love the Lord. And I look at everything they've had to go through. And I'll be honest, I ask, why? I look at my older brother, Justin. When he was younger, when he was in high school, he was, he was in love with the Lord. He went on missions. He loved the Lord. Why is it then he finds himself walking down the road of addiction? Why is it 10, 11 years after that, he comes to a place where he takes his own life? I look at my twin brother, Cole. Great example. 22. Goes to Life Pacific, goes to Bible school, comes back, gets married. He's a youth pastor at the church. Was madly in love with the Lord. You met Cole, you knew it like that. His main goal was to see a million lives saved. He woke up every day wondering how he could grow the kingdom of God. By human standards, he did everything right, right? Why is it at 22, in an instant, he's taken from us? Why? These are questions Habakkuk was asking. I think these are questions we still ask today. And these type of questions, they can bring us to a place where we start to doubt, right? We start to question. Our faith begins to waver a little bit. Now, Habakkuk had two problems, two big problems with God. The first, he says, you know, you don't seem to really care. There's all this stuff going on. You're not doing anything. I see your inactivity, and it makes me just think you just don't care. Now, I want to go back to the disciples in the boat. Storm's coming, right? Waves are hitting them. They're in a bad situation. 
and Jesus is what? He's sleeping, right? He's inactive. And they wake him up. What do they ask him? Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Are there situations in our life where we're going through something really difficult and God just seems silent? You're praying, you're praying, you're praying, and nothing is happening. And it brings you to a place where you say, God, don't you care? The second problem he has, you aren't doing much when I know that you could. You have the power to do something, and you're not. Matthew 11, John the Baptist, he's in jail. And he's hearing about all the miracles Jesus is doing. Healing the sick, healing the blind, all these miracles. And John the Baptist, he's in prison. And I, I, I got to think that he's thinking to himself, I'm hearing all these amazing things you're doing. You clearly have the power to get me out of this situation. Like, what's going on? I mean, we're cousins. Like, come on. I followed and lived for you boldly and faithfully. I mean, I'm out here in the desert proclaiming who you are. And I see that you have the power to, to change my situation, to change my circumstances, and you're not. And what does he tell his disciples to go ask? He goes, tell them, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're waiting for? Or should we be looking for someone else? John's looking at Jesus. He's like, you've got the power to change what I'm going through. You could, but you're not. Are you, are you who you say you are? And these are the types of questions that Habakkuk has. Habakkuk's main issue is what he sees, his circumstances, what he sees going around him, doesn't line up with what he believes. And I think we can look at it this way. Think back to when you first got saved. Or you can think back to a, a season in your life where just, you're just firing all cylinders with God. We have some seasons like that. You know, there's, there's times there's some ups and downs, and there's some seasons where you're just kind of rolling, right? Or you, you first come to the faith, right? And you're praying, and you're praying, and God's just answering your prayers. Just answering your prayers, right? You go to church, and that sermon just speaks to you. Like, that, that sermon was for me. Get in your car turn on the radio, you're like, oh, that song's for me, right? Open your Bible, and scripture just pops out at you. You're like, that scripture's for me. It's exciting, right? And you kind of find yourself kind of climbing this mountain. You find yourself at this spiritual high, right? Okay. You pray for something. He doesn't do anything. Go to church a couple weeks in a row. Message just isn't really speaking to you like it did before. You turn on that worship song. It's not really speaking to you, right? And then some bad stuff starts to happen. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you start going through some financial issues. Maybe you walk through a divorce. Maybe you lose a loved one. And you find yourself in this spiritual valley. And you're asking, you're like, that's not what, that's not what I thought this was going to be about. It's different than I thought. I thought when I accepted you, things would be all good all the time. And they're not. 
And you begin to question. You begin to doubt. You begin to question your faith. You can find yourself where you come to a point where you start to have a crisis of belief. And that's where we find Habakkuk. So what do you do when you find yourself at that point? You've climbed the spiritual high, and now you're kind of on the downward trend into the valley. There's a couple of things we can do. The first, some people will try to just kind of get right back to that last spiritual high. They'll pretend all that other stuff, all the bad stuff, all the questions, all the doubts, all the frustration. They'll just shove it inside. And they'll pretend it's not there. Now, does that ever work in any relationship? I mean, you can hide it for a little bit. Eventually, that's going to boil over. Eventually, that's going to lead to what? More anger, more bitterness, right? The second thing, you say, you know what? I thought this was going to be a whole lot different. Thought you were going to keep working, keep doing things. You're not. And you, get, you just kind of wipe your hands. You're like, you know what? I'm just going to go back the way things were before. And you kind of just say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with God. There's a third choice, though. When, we're fi when we find ourselves in that struggle and that doubt and that crisis of belief where our faith's starting to waver, we can Habakkuk it. And you might be wondering, like, why did he just turn Habakkuk's name into a verb? The name Habakkuk means to embrace and it means to wrestle. And that's what we see Habakkuk do. He embraces what he believes. He embraces what he knows of God. He embraces the character of God. God, I know you're good. I know you're loving. I know you're forgiving. I know you'll make all things right. But he, at the same time, he wrestles with his questions. He wrestles with his doubts. The mantra of this kind of phase I think we find it in James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do not be afraid to bring your questions, to bring your doubts, to bring your frustrations to God. He can handle them. And he will listen to them. But it's when our faith is tested. It's when sometimes we're in those hard seasons where we're doubting and we're questioning. It's there that our faith grows stronger. It's in those seasons that our relationship with God grows deeper and richer. So I encourage you guys, roll up your sleeves when you find yourself in these situations. Roll up your sleeves and you Habakkuk. You embrace and you wrestle, and you bring your questions, your doubts, your frustrations, you bring them to God. Habakkuk finds himself in a valley, a spiritual valley, a season of doubt and frustration. So what do you do when you're in the valley? And I think we learn a couple really helpful things we can do when we find ourselves in this type of situation. We're going to read chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3 says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. The Lord replies, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. So the first thing we do when we're in the valley, 
We listen. Look at verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Some translations say he stands at his watchtower. Now, a watchtower would have been a very strategic place you would stand. You would be above, like, the kingdom, and you could see enemies coming. It would be a very strategic place. And that's where we, we need to position ourselves to hear from God. God wants to speak to us, and he speaks to us all sorts of different ways. He speaks to us through his word, through a sermon, through a worship song, through circumstances, and he sometimes speaks to us through people. But God will speak. But we have to position ourselves. We have to put ourselves in a strategic position to hear from God. Think of it this way. You could say that Habakkuk's kind of venting to God, right? Does anybody have a friend that, that they're that friend that you call and you vent to? You call them up, and you're like, look, I need a vent. And they basically know, they're like, okay. When Sean says that, that means he's going to talk, and I'm going to listen, right? And that friend that you want to vent to, do we want advice from them? Do we want them to fix our situation? No. We want to just what? Simply vent. And that's okay. But do sometimes we only use God as our sounding board? We only come to God to vent our frustration? But like that friend, we don't, want, we don't want you to fix it. We don't want you to speak into the situation. We just want to vent. Now think of that same friend. Let's say you met with them. I don't know, you go to coffee with them every Tuesday, right? And every week, they're venting to you with the same complaint. Week one, you probably listen. You're a good friend. You're like, I'm your vent friend, right? Week two, I'll still listen. Week three, week four, week five. At some point, you're going to stop your friend, aren't you? And you're going to say, look, you vented enough. It's my turn to talk. And now you listen. So we want to find ourselves and we want to pull ourselves out of the, out of the valley. We have to position ourselves to hear from God. And that's something I want to challenge you guys with this week. There is so much noise in our lives, so much distraction. What can you do this week to better position yourself to hear from God? Maybe write it down. Maybe think about it. What is something you could do this week to better hear from God? To quiet your mind, to quiet your heart, to quiet your spirit, and just hear what God has to say. If we come to God and we quiet our hearts, he will speak to us. And then when he does speak to us, we get a second thing we can do. You bring your questions, you bring your doubts, you bring them to God, and he speaks a word to you. Write it down. Look at what he says. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. Habakkuk 2.2. 2. Write it down. How many cannot remember a single thing unless they write it down? Growing up, my dad was the note king. Little post-its all over the house. He writes down everything. And I remember being a kid, I'm like, can't you remember anything? Like, you got to write all that down? Like, can't you remember? And then as I get older, I realize if I don't write something down, there is no way I'm remembering it. 
And I used to think as you got older, your memory got bad. And I really think what happens is as you get older and you have some kids, there is just so much stuff coming into your head that you get to a point where you're like, if one more thing goes in, something's got to fall out, right? So when God speaks, write it down. Have you ever been in church and you were, you were convinced? You're like, God spoke something to me. God spoke a word for me. I know it. Then you get in the car and maybe somebody cuts you off and you're like, ah! Or your kids are being loud, so you're trying to like wave back and, you know, smack them. And you get distracted, right? And all of a sudden you're like, well, did he speak to me? I don't know. A couple days later, you just get in the flow of life and you're like, I don't know. I'm not so sure now that that was from God. Maybe a week or two later, you just move on with life and you can't even remember what you thought he said. Think about when you come up with a goal. What's the first thing they tell you when you want to accomplish a goal? Write it down. You know why they tell you to write it down? I guess this is my opinion why you should write it down. Um, life just kind of kicks in. And maybe Monday morning you're all fired up. You're like, yeah, I'm going to do this, right? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you kind of just, stuff comes up, you get busy, you're tired, and you kind of lose that conviction, right? You kind of lose that passion, that drive, and then eventually you just kind of forget about it, right? So you write it down so you can go back to it and you kind of rekindle that conviction. It's the same thing when God speaks to us. Write it down. So when you start to question, because look, God wants to speak truth into your life. God wants to plant those little seeds of truth. And you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to steal them. He wants to distract you and make you forget about them. So write it down. So when you start to question, when you start to doubt, you go back to it and you rekindle that conviction you had. And you remember, yes, God spoke to me. So the first thing you do is listen. Quiet yourself. Put yourself in a position to hear from God, and when he speaks, and he will, write it down. And then the third thing we do, we wait. We wait. Was that awkward? It felt awkward for me. I'm like, they probably think I have no idea what I'm about to say, so I'm just being quiet. Although it was a strategic move because I was getting pretty dry, so it gave me a little bit of time to drink. Waiting's hard, right? Waiting's tough. You always hear people like, ah, oh, I hate to wait. And you're like, well, join the club. I've never met a single person who's like, ah, oh, I love to wait. Give me a line. I, I go to Disneyland not, Disneyland not to ride roller coasters. I just love to wait in line. It's awesome. Nobody said that once. I do believe, though, I am particularly bad at waiting. I'm the guy. I'll go to a grocery store, and I'll have a couple things in my hand. And there's like three people in front of me. It would probably take like four minutes. And I'm like, do the kids really need milk and bread? Because I don't really want to wait. So bad, there, I've actually done it before, kids, where I'm like, I got all this stuff. You know those trips where you get way more than you thought, so you didn't get a cart, and you're like, and I'm like, oh, man, I really don't want to wait. Go to Albertsons. There's usually like one person at the check stand, right? And I'll start putting everything back, because I'm like, I I'm respectful enough, or I don't want to leave it up front. And then by the time I get to the front, I'm like, you could have probably just waited and got your stuff. Waiting's hard, right? 
When we wait, though, we can be sure that when God sets a time, when God says something, when God says he's going to move and do something, when he sets an appointed time, God has made an appointment. He has set a fixed and unstoppable time. And we can be sure that when he says something, it will come to pass. And if you ever start to doubt this, just look at the verse again. It says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks the end, and it will not prove false. Though it may linger, hey, it may take a little bit. It might not come as fast as you want. Though it may linger, what do we do? Wait for it, because it will certainly come, and it will not delay. God's timing is perfect and unstoppable. It will not take a, a, a month, a day, a week, a second longer. When he's ready to move, we can take that promise to the bank. So the first thing we do when we're in that season, we're doubting, we're struggling. We're starting to question our belief, question our faith. We quiet ourselves and we what? Listen. And then when God speaks to us, and he will, what's the next thing we do? We write it down. God speaks, we write, and then what do we do? Sometimes we got to just wait. And I know it's hard, but we wait on a God that always follows through with his promises. So how do we climb out of the valley? See, we see Habakkuk. He's got a problem. He doesn't like what's going on with his people. God's like, I'm going to take care of that problem. I'm going to judge the people. Now, remember judgment, guys. It's always for restoration purposes. It's always to redeem. It's always to bring God's people back to him. But he says, you know what? I'm going to judge you guys, and I'm going to use the Babylonians. And then chapter 2, you just get this long list of how he's going to take care of the Babylonians. Habakkuk's in for a really hard season, really tough season. So his circumstances don't change at all. But the way he approaches them in chapter 3 is very different than chapter 1. Chapter 1, he's frustrated. He's questioning. He's doubting. Chapter 3, he breaks out into a song. He breaks out into worship. So the first thing we do when we want to climb out of the valley, we remember what God has done. Let's read. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like, a, like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. Verses 3 to about 15. Habakkuk is... In a poetic form, he's remembering the Exodus. He's remembering what God had done for his people. He is remembering a time when God demonstrated his magnificent power and glory. He demonstrated to the entire world. He pulls the, his people out of slavery. He parts the Red Sea. He shows his presence at the mountain. And he makes his covenant. He makes them his people. He is remembering what God had done for his people. And if we want to pull ourselves out of the valley, we should do the very, remember what God has done in your life. I remember a couple months ago, in my Bible study, my little Bible group, 
I was expressing to the group, we were talking about, we were reading through Hebrews, and we were in the chapter where it says to come boldly in God's presence. So I was expressing to him how I prayed for somebody. And you guys ever pray those kind of wimpy prayers? I had prayed for somebody, and it was, he, he needed some healing. It was a super wimpy prayer. And I, and I was kind of patting myself on the back because I had the courage to even do it. But then I got done, I'm like, man, that was a weak prayer. Like, you're speaking to God. Scripture tells you to come boldly and bring your request to him. And you're like humming and hawing, like, eh, if you want to heal him, could you maybe heal him? And I was expressing this to, to my group. And then at the end, I had asked them for some prayer. And my, uh, my wife was pregnant with our son, Declan. He's five months old. Um, and we were planning to have the birth at home. And Declan was breached. And so if he stayed breached, there was a good chance we weren't going to be able to have the baby at home. And we really wanted to have the baby at home. And I was asking them, hey, guys, can you just pray for me, please? And after she said, you know, I hope I can say this. I'm like, sure, you can say it. I think you need to go upstairs, put your hand on your wife's stomach, and you pray boldly. You declare. You ask God. You say, God, move that baby. And I'm like, you're probably right. I should do that. So I walk upstairs, and I'm nervous, which I shouldn't be. It's my wife, but I'm a little nervous. So I walk up, and she's probably, like, creeped out because I walk up. I'm like, hey. And she's like, I'm like, I'm going to pray for you. So I put my hands on her stomach, and I don't pray a real long prayer, but I pray it boldly. And I say, God, I pray that you move this baby. You turn him the right side up, and I pray this in Jesus' name. That was about all my prayer was. Next day, I get a text. I'm at work. She goes to the doctor. Lo and behold, Declan's not breached anymore. Amen, right? It was awesome. You know what I did, though? Have you guys ever done this? My, my flesh kicked in, you could say. I, wrote it, I, I almost started to write it off to coincidence. I almost started to say, like, oh, well, chances are he had already moved. How dare me? And I encourage you guys, if you ever find yourself trying to put things that God's doing as coincidence, stop it. There's no coincidence. That was God working and moving and demonstrating his power. And now that has become a spiritual anchor in my life. When I go to pray and I'm ever questioning or doubting if he can do something, I say, well, he did it then. And he can do it again. Right? That's what Habakkuk's saying. He's saying, God, you did it then. You saved us. You delivered us. You showed your power and your glory. You did it again. And I know you can do it again. I know you will do it again. Remember what God's done in your life. And I encourage you guys. I'm going to give you another challenge. You guys should be writing these down. Remember? Write them down. I'm kidding. Um, if you haven't wrote, written a, tes a testimony before, I encourage you. Spend some time this week or next week just reflecting on the things God's done in your life. And write a testimony. We get to see him every week. Not every week, but every couple weeks. And they're very powerful, aren't they? It's very powerful to see how God's moved in other believers' life. Very powerful. When I wrote mine, you know who was more powerful, though? The realization of how God's moved in my life. Because I remember I was trying to come up with, what am I going to say? I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't have this, like, crazy story. Like, I, I, deliver me out of, like, addiction or this. I'm like, things are pretty good. And then it hit me. I'm like, bro, 
went through a divorce, your, your older brother, your best friend walked through an addiction, your twin brother Cole died, that same big brother, best friend, he dies. And the fact that I could sit there and actually be like, I don't know, what am I going to write about? Things are pretty good, was a testimony to how God's hand and his hedge of protection have just been over my life, over my family's life, that he has just protected us and guided us and always taken care of us, even through all those things that we've gone through. So if you haven't spent some time, I reflect on the things that God has done in your life, whether they be big or small, because they become powerful spiritual anchors for your faith. So the first thing, remember what God has done. Then we got to accept what God is doing. This can be hard, especially when we look at what Habakkuk has to accept. Basically, he's accepting judgment and desolation of his land. Not, a, not an easy pill to swallow, right? Let's look at verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 16. It says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Now, when we accept, it doesn't mean that we just kind of have to roll over and we don't keep praying for miracles to happen. But we do have to come to a spot, to a place, where if God's saying no to something, or if God's not changing a particular circumstance, we have to come to a place where we accept what he's doing. Otherwise, we just end up in this endless cycle of chapter 1. This endless cycle where we're constantly questioning, we're constantly doubting. And when we're in that place, we never put enough trust in God. We're just always kind of raising our fists. Our faith and our relationship with God, it can't grow in the middle of those questions. It has to grow when you accept and you allow him to start working. Look at the Apostle Paul. Three times he prays. God, take this thorn from me. God tells him no, right? God says no. My grace is sufficient, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. And we see Paul come to this amazing place where he begins to boast. He begins to take joy in his weakness. He takes joy in his weakness because he understands when he is weak, he then taps in to the power of Christ. And he realizes a strength that he would never realize on his own. Can you imagine, though, if Paul wasn't willing to accept God's no? Would he ever have come to a place where his faith grew strong like that? Where he understood that in times, hardships, when times where he feels weak, he's actually strong. No, he'd still be asking that same question. Take this thorn. Why won't you do it? I don't get it. It's not fair. No, he accepted God's no. And because of that, when we accept, that, is, that opens the door, that becomes the catalyst to now where we can start to walk through that valley. And we can, we, we can hear some answers, and we see our faith grow stronger. We see our relationship grow deeper and richer with God. So first, we remember what God is doing. Second, we accept what he is doing. And the third thing we do, we trust in what God is doing. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us, Though the fig trees do not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no kettle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The first thing he says, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He trusts. He, God told him, God, I... Or, Habakkuk, I am going to take care of the Babylonians. 
don't you worry. I will make this situation right. I will make all things right. He trusts in God's promises. He trusts that God will do what he says he's going to do. And then you see him. He comes at his place where I like to call it, he has this, this even if faith. What he's describing when he says, when he's talking about there'll be no crops, there'll be no, he's talking about utter disaster. This is going to be a really hard season for Habakkuk. But even if, he's joyful in the God that saves. So even if you're going through financial troubles, even if you're maybe walking through a divorce, even if you lost your job, even if you're grieving the loss of a loved one, even if, let us take joy. Let us rejoice in the God who saves. If you ever have trouble trusting what God's going to do, look to what he's already done. Look to what he did on the cross. He sent his son to die for you and me because he loved us so much. He sent him while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were rejecting him. That's the kind of love that we can trust. So if you're ever struggling to trust what God's going to do, trust in what he's already done. So when you're in the valley, remember what God's done, accept what he's doing, and trust what he's going to do. In closing, you know what I get from Habakkuk? Habakkuk's a guy with an eternal perspective on things. And as believers, we need to have the same type of perspective when it comes to some of our hardships, our questions, our doubts, those really hard seasons. We have to have an eternal perspective on life. There's two really important truths we get from this book. Chapter 2, verse 20 says, such a simple verse, The Lord is still in his temple. God is in control, guys. He's in control of every situation. The second we see, the righteous will live by his faithfulness. Guys, as believers, faith is the most important thing we have. Without faith, Scripture tells us it is impossible to please God. We don't live by our circumstances. We don't live by the things we see. We don't live by what we see out in the world. We don't live by the hard situations we're going through. No, we live by faith. We have faith that one day God will make all things right. God will make all things new. All the sickness, the sorrow, the pain, the depression, those headaches, they won't go away. That cancer that you keep battling. All those things will one day be gone and we will be made new. Close with Romans 8.18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the future glory we, he will reveal to us later. For all of creation is eagerly waiting. Again, there's that waiting, right? We wait for the day to come when Jesus returns. He is waiting for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. This brings me such comfort. I want to tell you guys a quick story to close. As I told you, we've we got a five-month-old son, Declan, and we had him at home, which was awesome, by the way. I think my wife was surprised at how cool I thought it was, but if there was, like, a salesperson for, like, 
home birth deliveries, I feel like I'd be pretty good at it. Like I was like super pumped up about it. But it was a really cool experience just to be that close and that kind of intimate in that situation. And we, you had the lights down, you're in your own house, we're playing worship music. It was just a really awesome experience. But, am I, did I sell anybody? No. And Kayla, she handled it so well. For most of it, it didn't even seem like she was in pain. And I know you were, but you really did. You did an amazing job. But how I knew that it was coming close to when Declan was going to arrive is because the sounds kind of ratcheted up a few degrees. Got a little loud, and you could see the, the pain and the anguish, and you could almost say the suffering kind of take over the face, and you could see the pain and the hurt. And then Declan was born. And I tell you guys, in an instant, in an instant, that pain that hurt, that suffering she went through, I tell you, her entire countenance changed in an instant. It didn't delay a single second. She went from a place of, of just pain and anguish to immediate joy and elation. And that's what Paul tells us. The future suffering, the, fu the, thing, or the current suffering we're going through, the hardships, the pain, it doesn't even compare to the future glory we will see in heaven. And it will be gone in an instant. The righteous live by faith. Faith in what God's doing. Let's just bow our heads and we'll close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us enough that you send us your word. And you want to teach us, you want to correct us, sometimes rebuke us, and train us. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for being a relational God. I want to pray for everybody in this room that maybe is in chapter one of their story. They're in a season where they're just questioning. They're in a season where they're doubting. They're in a season where they're struggling to see the goodness of God. They're struggling to see past their situation. And I just pray that your presence be over them and that they don't turn and run, they don't turn and hide, but they roll up their sleeves and they bring you, your, bring you their questions, their doubts. And in their pain, in their suffering, you reveal who you are and you grow their faith and you grow their relationship with you. I pray that each and every one of us can have even if faith no matter the situation, no matter what we're going through, even if, even if I'm struggling, even if I'm hurting, even if I feel depressed, even if I lost my job, I lost a spouse, even if I'm battling cancer, I will rejoice in the God who saves. Because the righteous don't live by what they see. They live by faith in what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to wait again that wasn't actually planned so god bless you guys i just i thank you for for being here today and i just pray that you guys have an amazing week like i said couple challenges 
Let's see how we can position ourselves to hear something from God. And let's get into the word this week, all right? God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with friends, share it with family. Help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.